You're listening to episode 36 of The STEM Space. Do you know how your brain works? Well, I'm learning some of what neuroscience has revealed about the way we learn and how different children learn differently. Or do they? You're about to find out. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hey, Claire, how's grad school going? Oh, you know, lots of papers. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to hear more. I feel like you've got some interesting things to share. Maybe something you're learning. Yes. So I actually have a bone to pick with you. (laughs) What did I do? So I'm taking learning theories is the course I'm in right now. And I'm writing a paper and I got to choose the topic on something related to learning. And I chose neuroscience because I'm just fascinated by how the brain works and being able to connect that to how we should teach. So I'm writing this paper about it. And of course, there's lots of things that come up about, you know, the left brain, right brain debate. You know, that one where some people think that you're more left brained if you feel a certain way or you're right brained if you're more, I I can't remember which one's which, more artsy is I think right brain. Yeah. But that's not true. Science has shown that you use all parts of your brain during complex functions and you need to be able to store information and connect synapses across your brain, both hemispheres. But we do know from neuroscience that there are specific functions related to specific areas of the brain. And I don't have those memorized, but we can look at maps of if you Google it and it will show like where your memory usually is based or where your motor function is primarily, right? So one thing though that we have talked about is whether or not you can be a visual learner. Do you remember this discussion? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you telling me that I'm wrong? <laughs> well, okay. First of all, I know we've discussed this before on the podcast, I believe, but can you explain what that is, what that means to be a visual learner? So are you referring to learning styles where yeah. there are, so there's different versions of this theory. Um, learning styles could be some kids are more visual learners or auditory learners or prefer to read something in a textbook. Then there's the left brain, right brain learning fad, as I called it, whereas some kids need the more analytical approach where others prefer more of the creative approach. And what I have been taught in my class is that it depends on the context. So it depends on what you're trying to teach because when you're trying to teach science, for example, all kids will learn better when they have that hands-on experience. And that doesn't mean you're a kinesthetic learner. That just means that it better serves the content and you can experience that phenomena. Also like reading something is a very abstract thing. When you just like read a term in a book, it's hard to actually understand what you're reading. There's got to be some more concrete things that kids experience before they can get to that more abstract learning. Is that what we're talking about? Yes. Yes. Which totally makes sense to me until I read this article today. So I'm trying to write a paper discussing how we should teach how people learn based on the way that your brain develops. And there was this one article that talked about using analogies and how it can help your brain be able to learn something like a new skill. Mm -hmm. In this study, what they did is they were trying to teach people that never played basketball how to shoot and make a basket. And they made an analogy showing that your hand put behind the ball needs to move upwards like it's going up a mountain. And they showed that using 
using that analogy would help the brain be able to store and process that information quicker so that when they need to use it in a like high pressure environment, like maybe their first basketball game, that it's easier to do that quickly and do that performance without any hiccups or anything because your brain has stored it differently because there's an analogy that's associated to something that you already know. Mm. So it's providing that context for a new skill, which is part of how we have debunked this whole theory of right brain, left brain, because there is parts of your brain that function where there's one part that stores information that you're just learning. And there's another part that stores the contextual place of where the application of that learning is. And they must talk to each other to build those really deep learning, right? Um, And so that's why it's really important to connect things to the real world like we do in STEM. We emphasize that a lot. And so they're saying that using this analogy really works best for people who are verbalizers. Have you heard this word? I haven't. (laughs) So when I read that, I was like, oop, full stop. Is this like one of those articles that they need to read about how learning styles are a fad? Because then it was talking about uh, as opposed to being a visualizer. I was like, okay, so let me, I really struggled with that kind of thought when I was first learning about learning. (laughs) So this is not to say we're not gifted in certain areas. So Mm -hmm. some, my husband is gifted in math. Like he can just pick things up very quickly in a math classroom because he is a more analytical person. Like I do not have the math brain if we want to call it that. I'm better at, you know, when I read a book and like understanding what I'm reading in that sense, that is very different than the way we should teach content, if that makes sense. And so there's going to be students that are like on extreme ends. And so like, I think my husband's one of these like really gifted math people that maybe could benefit from slightly different instruction, but the average student is going to, we're trying to make the teacher's job easier. And when you're trying to teach something in a classroom, you should not be burdened with the thought that there are five different learning styles. And that when you're trying to teach potential energy and kinetic energy, that you need to come up with five different lesson plans that support five different students, if that makes sense. Yeah. But there will be some kids that pick it up faster because maybe they're more just naturally gifted. And there is this like debate, I'm doing an educational psychology class right now, where it's like nature versus uh, nurture. Like, is it because of how they were brought up that they're able to understand things more because they got some maybe different skills when they were three years old, four years old, like pre-K and that they can now pick things out quicker. So I don't know if that's like a natural gift of how their brain is or if that's skills that they've learned. But yes, there's going to be certain topics and content that some kids will get faster than others. But in general, when you're teaching something, there is one approach that will support most of your students to learn the best. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. I still struggle with this. You know, I think that's just so hard to to see what works best and how much you need to add into your instruction to really create those deep learning of context. So in this study, they were talking about how they were able to measure. Well, first they did this 15 question questionnaire to determine if you were a verbalizer or a visualizer, which I don't know how they, I need to research more on this questionnaire and how they actually uh, validate that it's useful and is, because I would say that I'm visual. And so I'd probably be inclined to answer all the questions showing that. So I, I don't know, but it was saying that using these analogies was really only helpful when you're teaching a visual skill like shooting a basketball to the verbalizers but using the analogy did not help the visualizers anymore because they already had that context of seeing you apply that that skill in the situation of shooting a basketball Mm -hmm. so it was just really interesting 
to me and I'm still processing this on how can I provide more context, more application of why we're doing the things when we're teaching STEM and relating it to things that the kids already know. I think that's always a struggle. Like how do you build upon skills when you're teaching something that's really novel? If they've never heard of the world of engineering before and you're trying to teach them about civil engineering and structures, like how do you relate it to something that they understand? Is analogy something that we should use? Should we use more visual representation of, hey, you've been on a bridge before, or when you build it like this, it's kind of like when you do that? Mm-hmm. Or should we shoot for both? Or is that kind of trying to teach like learning styles? No, it's not. It's not. And the research shows that multiple representations will improve learning outcomes. So showing kids, telling kids, hearing the story, watching a video, that is not because they a different kid's going to connect with a different thing. That's because they're hearing it over and over again in different ways. And at some point they're going to pay attention. It's That just makes sense. Now, I don't know the research study you're talking about. I don't know how valid it is, like what the sample size was, like, I have no idea. I'm not a neuroscientist (laughs) or, you know, an educational psychologist, but I just want teachers to just know that it has been proven that multiple representations increase learning. And so that's what we should be doing. We shouldn't expect that when we're trying to say, introduce engineering, we're just going to talk about it and they're just going to hear it and they're going to accept it and they're going to know it. Like, it's not that easy. Kids are in charge of their own learning and they have to internalize it and make sense of it. And that takes time. And that's why there's a lot of evidence that direct instruction where you're just lecturing to kids does not work when you're trying to teach these concepts of what is an engineer, getting them excited about engineering, understanding like the engineering design process. I can't just tell it to you. It's much easier and faster. And it looks great on a syllabus that I've covered a million topics and I've talked about a hundred careers, but they're not going to get any of it because you can't just talk at them. So I think we're in agreement here that bring in the analogies. Yes. I love metaphors. Like, I mean, I don't think we can get enough of that. And the other piece that I'm actually learning about right now in my class is on student motivation. And now that's individual, like maybe their brains work similarly, but their experiences, their background, their culture, what motivates them is so different for each kid. And that's where as teachers, we have to adapt in the classroom often live when we're presenting and we're like, this isn't clicking, is it? (laughs) Or the kids are falling asleep or, you know, there's some, so much going on that's outside of just our content that we have to think about how do I get this to be more exciting for them? How can I connect to what they're just intrinsically motivated about? Right. Yes. And that's actually a big topic that I've been struggling with as I'm preparing for this next school year is that I just learned that instead of getting two class periods a week that are usually 45 minutes a piece for each class, I I only have one 40 minute class per week. Usually when you're teaching a STEM challenge, you have to break it up to where you're starting out with just giving some background information. And that's probably going to take the whole first 30 minutes. So how do I get my kids excited about it when they're like, oh, can we get to the building? Can we get to the building? Like, no, not for another three weeks. Cause we <laughs> still have to build up to that point when it used to be like, oh, on Thursday, you know? So yeah, motivation, that's a huge question. And then I'm also, as I'm thinking through this paper with that in mind of thinking, how am I going to provide?
provide the context when I'm trying to explain the background so that they are doing some hands-on maybe every time I see them and see how they can connect what we're learning about to the doing before we actually get to the doing because it's going to be a long time before we get there. Yeah. And that's tough because often we're not, the hands-on takes time because you need materials and prep time and getting into teams and that takes up a lot of your class. And there's not often like immediate return on that. Like they're not necessarily learning something. They might be learning teamwork, communication, and maybe that's it. And so that's the balance because there's got to be some instruction in there where you're having a group discussion even, or like talking in pairs about a topic, watching a video. It can't all just be doing. And that is, I think sometimes a trap that STEM teachers fall in, that I have to be building every minute of my class. And there's skills that they're getting out of that, but there's concepts that can't be taught through just doing a design challenge. That requires it on us, the teacher, to present the material, to get discussions going. You know what I mean? Yes. And I think discussions, that's a huge one. And I think that's so important, not just to be sitting there and lecturing them on something or even just showing them a video and expecting them to internalize it, but having those discussions where you ask a question. And like we've talked about in a previous episode that I'll link in the show notes about how to ask questions in the classroom, where you say, you've got to make that awkward silence. So they're really thinking about it. And that's when they internalize what you're talking about and really start learning. Yep. Well, good luck on that paper. (laughs) I don't know if I helped at all, but I am curious to hear. So we should definitely link this article in the show notes if anybody wants to hear more about, you said it was metaphors for verbalizers and- And visualizers. Visualizers. Yeah. And whether they're helpful. So it sounds like that you should use analogies in your instruction. It can't hurt. No. (laughs) It makes sense, right? It's connecting to their- everyday experience. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll talk more about neuroscience and educational psychology in the future, but thanks for listening. Bye-bye.